0: Hi, I'm Paul Schorb. I'm the the director of YWAM Faith Harvest Helpers, and we run a food bank here at True Grace Church. One of the fun things is is to watch the food come in, to actually pray and ask the Lord to bring it. During this, this pandemic, we've been very concerned about food. And so during this time, our Wednesdays have grown 300%. And so it's been amazing that you're asking God, Lord, could you bring it in? Could you fill it up? A few years ago, I thought, well, everything that comes in, I'm gonna give double portions of. I'm just gonna bless people. At the end of the day, I realized we hadn't given it all out. So I knew we only had a half hour or 45 minutes to go. So we decided, well, let's give more. And God just kept filling and filling and filling until at the very end, it was all gone. And it wasn't anybody short. And so God provided every need. And it's a miracle. I know that lots of food banks have been shutting down. Lots of them have been concerned. We've, we've developed a program where we have personal shoppers. And these folks have come in and they handle all the food. They have gloves and masks and everything on. And so we knew that there would be a shortage of masks. We prayed and God brought in masks. Not only little ones, but lots and lots. A few years ago, a person behind me taps me on the shoulder and they said, hey, Pastor Paul. And I looked at him and it was somebody that I had seen in the food bank. Somebody who needed help. Somebody that we prayed for and they accepted the Lord. Next thing I know, he and his family, are in church, sitting right behind me, praising Jesus. I think that is just amazing. I think it's part of what we do. We have to give it all and expect nothing. But when God does it, we have to give him the praise and glory and honor.
1: Hey, everybody. uh, Paul, thank you for sharing your story. And anybody who serves in our food bank, man, you guys are incredible. Uh, It's one thing to tell people, you know, you need Jesus and meet people's spiritual needs. We absolutely love to do that. But it's so great when we stop and meet people's physical needs as well. So thank all of you for what you're doing. I love that ministry and and just love what you guys are doing. Listen, earlier in this uh, gathering, we stopped and we prayed against evil. Uh, we prayed against racism. We prayed against, you know, violence and, and those things and the virus and all that stuff. And um, But I just want to tell you something. There's a lot of good news out there that doesn't make the news. Um, and if you're like me, sometimes you got to shut off social media, shut off the news, keep your mind in a good place, right? Not all the time, but sometimes. So this, uh, this last week, uh, we had that parade with the pastors, um, you know, and it was so cool because You know, we thought maybe like 40 cars would drive up and we'd see some people and the cars just kept coming and coming and coming and some of you literally came and you couldn't stay. Like I wouldn't have stayed in line, but some of you stayed in line almost two hours just to talk to our staff and say hi, maybe a quick prayer, quick, you know, uh, hand you some cookies. Some of you handed cookies back to us. There was so much joy, so much love, uh, so much human interaction, which honestly we need. we got to find a way to still get that during this time. And I left that night just saying to myself, like, honestly, if if I wasn't pastoring in this church and the job was open, I would apply. Um, Because there was so much genuine love and joy coming out from people to each other. I know not everybody could make it that night and it wasn't for, you know, not everybody wanted to do that. But man, for me, it just blessed me. So um, that's something I just want to share with you. All right. Uh, The title of the message today is What God Sees. All right. Not what you and I see. But what God sees, and obviously he sees a whole lot. Uh, he sees kind of all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, but what I really want to get at tonight is if we could look through God's eyes and see what he sees when he looks at our world, our faith, and our lives, all right? God sees more than you and I see. Wouldn't you agree um, that he just sees uh, through us into our hearts even? And listen, oftentimes um, God has something bigger or better for you Um, in your life for your future, but you have to trust him in order to receive it. It's kind of like this picture, and I love this picture. The first time I saw this, of this little girl with her tiny little teddy bear, and she's saying, but God, I love it. I want to keep it. And, And then Jesus is saying, just trust me. I have something bigger and better for you. So the reality is it's just a small picture, but the picture really tells a good story, doesn't it? That God has bigger and better things for us. Listen, if we hold things tightly, if we try to control our lives, um, then we're limited uh, in what we have. But when we give freely, when we trust God, when we give our lives, then we're unlimited because we can do whatever He wants us to become. Um, So uh, I'm convinced that if you and I could see how God would see, how God sees, then we would readily give our lives to Him. Man, if we could see how God sees our sin, how much God loves us, uh, if we could see the world from his vantage point, we would readily give our lives to him. Um, So let's try not to be limited by just seeing what we see in our lives. So if you have your Bible, uh, 1 Samuel chapter um, 16 is where we're going to be. And I'm excited about this because sometimes God lets me actually speak from where I'm reading in my personal time. Most of the time, actually, the Lord doesn't let me do that. Um, Because I need to have my own personal time, so my soul doesn't dry up. But once in a while, (laughs) while I'm reading something, it just feels like the Lord says, "You can go ahead and you know preach from where you've been reading." So that's where I'm at today, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and um, it's talking about the king. And it says uh, the first king, King Saul, was not able to fully trust God with his life. Insecurity and pride set in, and God went searching for a new king. Now I don't know. You know, if you would think, well, if God was looking for a king, here I am. I'd I'd like to have that job. Um, But it was a profoundly strange time. Um, God finds his next king, not in a palace, uh, not leading an army, but he found the next king doing the lowly task of watching the sheep. That's where he finds David. David. David doesn't arrive on the scene suddenly. And and I think this is such an important part of David's life. And we we like to jump to the big high points or the big fall or those kind of things. But listen, David doesn't arrive on the scene in that battle with Goliath. David actually uh, has been preparing for that moment his entire life. And here's the reality. David uh, was in the process of becoming, listen, those years in the wilderness with the sheep, those shepherding years, uh, they were preparing him for God's plan for his life. Listen, he would be ready uh, for the anointing uh, that was to come, for the giant, the battle that he would face, for the crown that he would one day wear, um, because he didn't waste the years in the wilderness, but he cultivated a heart for God. He got to know the Lord. And I think it's so important for us that we take those days of waiting, those days of suffering, those days of isolation And we say, I want to get to know God as well as I can here because someday down the road, I'm going to need a heart that really knows God in my life. Uh, David didn't just sit on a rock and complain to the sheep, even though probably a lot of us would do that. I think he took the harp with him that he later played for Saul. I think he learned how to stay alert when he spotted the attacks of the animals. I think he interacted with God. Uh, A lot of people um, wake up and they say, oh, You know, it's just another day of watching sheep. This is my life, right? That's what some people would do. But there's other people. Um, Some people would wake up and say, man, this is another day. This is another day to to practice my sling, right? Uh, This is another day to save a, a sheep Uh, one of my father's sheep from being taken off by the enemy. This is the day to practice my harp, to play my harp. This is the day to worship outside. Man, this is the day to learn how to pray and talk to God. This is is my day to get up and see what God's going to say to me today. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's David's heart. Listen, uh, time waiting isn't time wasted unless you waste it. Time waiting isn't time wasted. During those waiting days and sometimes waiting years is when God really develops our character for the challenges that are ahead of us. I don't know about you, but 20 years from now, I hope God uses me to do something far greater than I'm capable of doing today. And I hope one of the reasons is is because I've allowed God to shape me and form me in these days, in the day in and the day out. Listen, David wasn't uh, ready on his big days because he spent time, or excuse me, David was ready on his big days because he spent time with the Lord, listen, in his everyday. He spent time with the Lord in his everyday, and therefore he was ready when those big days came. It's a principle we need to learn in our life. And some of you right now, there are teenagers right now in our church, and for the very first time, you are spending time with God on a regular basis, day in and day out, and it's going to change your world. And there's some adults right now who have never like prayed every day, but you're going for a prayer walk every single day, and it's changing who you are. Uh, some of you are in the Bible every day for the first time in your life, and it's absolutely going to pay dividends in who you are today. There is great potential inside of you if you will live for God in your every day, even your ordinary day, because it's going to prepare you for an extraordinary day in the future. So let me make this point clear. God sees the potential in you. Not everybody sees the potential in you. Uh, You may even have close friends and family and others who don't believe in you, or at least you don't feel like they believe in you. But here's the great thing. God sees potential in you. And who better to look at you and see somebody who could rise up and become someone great and do great things uh, for His kingdom. God sees potential in you. God doesn't just see who you are today, thankfully. He sees who you can become. God sees the potential inside of you. Listen, when I was young, when I was awkward, when I was immature, uh, when I was self-centered, um, people were like Jesus to me. They looked at me and they didn't just see who I was, but they saw who I could become. And they believed in me and in um, the potential inside of me. I hope that we do that for others. Um, I don't judge my kids by their worst day. I see so much potential in my own kids. Uh, My kids have discipline. My kids have a heart for God. Uh, My kids, you can just see that God has something great for them. And I hope it is far greater than anything I ever do or say. And I really believe it could be. Um, Believe in the potential of people around you in your life. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, this is what verse 1 says. It says this, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, that's a big deal. Key city, go to Bethlehem. And then it says this, Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Imagine this word being spoken to Samuel the prophet. You, you anointed Saul as king, but I'm displeased with him. I've rejected him. He has not walked in my ways. It's time to find another king. So you're going to go to this city called Bethlehem. A thousand years from now, out of David's line or Jesse's line, there's going to be a Messiah. And in 300 years from now, in 700 B.C., Isaiah is going to prophesy about the Messiah coming from Bethlehem. But it hasn't happened yet. It's all part of God's story that he's working out. And, and you're going to go to Bethlehem, and you're going to find Jesse and one of his sons, is going to be the next king. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but in that barbaric time, Samuel had been kind of top dog. He had relinquished that to, to Saul. Saul had the army. Listen, taking people's lives was not a big deal in those days. And Samuel's like, how am I supposed to do this? If Saul finds out I've, I've anointed his successor, I could die easily. But Samuel was obedient and did what God had asked him to do. Go find Jesse in Bethlehem. You're going to anoint one of his sons to be The next king. I want to remind you of this. Obedience is a sign of lordship. So when you say, honestly, I'm not sure I want to do this, but because you're Lord of my life, I'm willing to, you find out if he's Lord of your life when he asks you to do something you don't want to do. And Samuel was willing to do what the Lord had asked him to do. The people were in awe of the presence of the Lord. When Samuel showed up, they were like, Do you come in peace? Like that's how much power and presence of God came with Samuel in those days. And so verse 6, we're going to catch up with the story. It says, uh, Jesse sends for his sons. They all come into the house. That we think they all did. And it says this, When they arrived, uh, Samuel took one look at Eliab, the oldest, and he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He just looked at this young man and said, this has got to be the one that God is picking to be the next king. Something about him. He might have been about 6'2 with reddish brown hair and a, and a tight beard and a physical you know, athletic look. I don't know what it was, but he looked at him and said, this guy has got leadership potential. And and that was a joke, by the way. And so so Samuel looks at Eliab and he goes, this has got to be the one. Eliab has something about him. He's got a a presence, a charisma, a look, his height, um, whatever it is. He's the firstborn. And Samuel took one look at him and was impressed. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever uh, taken a first look at someone and just been really impressed? Man, you know, he's just muscular, or she's just got it together. Or they have a, a, you know, a countenance, or a charisma, or, or a sparkle to them. There's just something about them that just really people are drawn to. Um, let me ask you another question. Have you ever gotten to know someone who realized that your first impression was far off? And, and you actually read that person wrong. Maybe, maybe you didn't think that they were incredible, and they actually were. Even a well-traveled man of God, a prophet like Samuel didn't see the heart and the calling that was lacking in Eliab to be king, but God saw that. Uh, He looked like he'd be a king, but but God saw something something different. Listen, the Lord knew Samuel's thoughts, and because the Lord knew uh, what Samuel was thinking, we get one of the most incredible scriptures in the entire Bible. I quote it often in my life. Uh, It starts in verse uh, 7 of chapter 16. This is what it says. I think it's on the screen. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for uh, I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't see and judge the way that you and I see and judge, how we assess people? And and the Lord immediately knows what Samuel's thinking. Like, this guy's impressive. This has got to be the one. Like, get, get the flask out. We're about to pour the oil over him. And God says, nope. You don't see what I see. Oh here it is, verse, second part of verse 7. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord sees right through you into the heart of who you are. He sees your character. He sees your makeup. Uh, he knows what He can call you to, and He knows how far your character can take you. And He's not going to call you to do this if your character can't sustain you to those lengths. God looks at the heart, not not the outward appearance. Wouldn't it be incredible if we began to to see people as God sees people? Um, We think, wow, she's attractive or she's fashionable or in style or he's tall or look how many bars he has on his chest. He must be important. And I'm asking myself the question, how can you and I assess people a little bit differently, perhaps more like God? Uh, every time I go to hire someone, I like to take them to a restaurant. I say, "Bring your, bring your family, bring your wife, bring your kids, or bring your husband, bring your kids, and go to a restaurant and watch how they speak to each other, uh, watch how they speak to the waitress, and, and just interact with people. Something's bound to go wrong, and it just you can see character better because appearance only tells so much of the story, right? God looks at your heart, and I'm so glad that He does. So verses 8 and 9 says this, Then Jesse told his son Abinadab, uh, the secondborn, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. So here we go. Now we're kind of going to plan C, number three, right? Uh, next Jesse summons Shimeah. but Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. He's bringing them out one at a time in like chronological order from oldest to youngest. And it's almost like the dating game. I mean, it's just kind of uh, funny to see these guys kind of walk in front of him and see, like, am I the one? Am I called? Am I gifted? I want to look impressive. And if you've seen the dating game, it always reminds me of this. He's Middle Eastern. He's a man who can hunt and fish. He can even grow his own crops. And he'd like to have 11 sons, perhaps with you. Please welcome Abinadab, right? And he walks in front of him. I mean, it's just kind of like the bachelorette gone wrong. It just, To me, it's just so interesting. One by one, they parade through. Eliab, Abinadab, Shimia, and then there's four more. We don't even know them all. And Jesse, the father, is there wondering which one of his sons is going to be king. Well, I disciplined number five really well. Or, you know, what, what, how's it going to happen? And this was fascinating. None of the seven sons are chosen. They all go through. And God says no to Samuel, every single one. <laughs> by the way, you don't want the job if you are not called by God. You've got to be called by God if you're going to do something like be the next king of, of Israel. And then Samuel asks this question. He says, are these all the sons you have? You, you can almost see that. I know God told me to come to you and ask you about your sons, but this is it? Did I, did I miss something? Verse 11. There is still the youngest, Jesse said, uh, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. There's one more. But we didn't even think to call him because when you're like number eight son in a family with all these impressive sons... And we kind of need him out there. He's kind of the family you know, sheep herder anyway. We need, we need somebody to bring the goats around. So, so he's the goat herder. We didn't bring the goat herder to the, to the kingly party. And Samuel says, listen, no one sits down until that young man is here. Send for him now. Wow. Maybe uh, sometime in your life you've been picked last. Uh, and you know how that hurts uh, sometimes in life. And listen, King David, the warrior, you know, the, the talented, incredible man after God's own heart. He's picked last. He's not, even, he's not even drafted. He goes undrafted. He's not even invited to the draft at all. But God sees him and God picks him. Verse 12 uh, says, So Jesse sent for him and it says, He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one anoint him. Uh, You almost kind of go, did you not read verse 7? doesn't matter if he's handsome. doesn't matter if his eyes are beautiful. I think there's a point in this where God says just because someone has a a good appearance or maybe they're super talented musically or like a warrior like David doesn't mean that God's not with them, right? You and I might kind of go, well, that person's probably got a big ego because, you know, their family's wealthy or they're good looking or they're super talented, so they've got to be a jerk. You know, it is possible to be someone like David with all of his talents and his appearance and still have a tremendous heart for God. And David does. And maybe you've been given a lot of gifts and you've got a lot of blessing in your life. You can still have a tremendous heart for God, even though you're, you're tremendously uh, gifted by God. So no sooner had David entered Samuel's presence, than the Lord commanded Samuel to anoint him as Israel's next leader. Verse 13, so David stood there among his brothers who are all older than him in that culture. And Samuel took the flask of olive oil and you can almost see him going, he's not gonna, he's not really, he's not gonna do this. And he brought and anointed David with the oil. He pours the oil over his head, down over his, not his beard, his stubble that's trying to become a beard, right? pours that over David, signifying the Holy Spirit will now be with you in an even more powerful way than he already is. Being anointed the next king of Israel in front of his brothers in that culture, let me remind you of this because it's important for us as well. It's the human condition to take our family for granted. It's the human condition to not see all the potential in our youngest brother, or our kid, or our spouse that we live with. It's the human condition to go, oh, my parents, they're, they're lame, right? Or my siblings, they're lame. It's the human condition to take our family for granted. Don't let it be that way. Pour life. Speak life into your family. Wouldn't it be awesome if one of those brothers stepped up and said, David, I knew it. I knew you had this kind of potential. I could see it in you when you were a kid. This is going to be awesome that my little brother is going to be king. That's the kind of family member God's asking you to be in your family. The Spirit of the Lord came upon, powerfully upon David from that day on. David was a powerful leader, warrior, king for the people of God. Um, let me make a point that I think is worth making, and sometimes we forget. Samuel's final act, right? His final act in God's grand story. And he was dedicated at the temple as a a child, lived for the Lord his entire life, led the nation, the people of God for decades. There's all these incredible things. Everybody respects him. But his final act in God's grand story wasn't about himself. It was elevating a young leader. So I have a question for you. And I want you to stop and just think about this. Here's the question. Who are you elevating? Who is it, in your life, in your world, that you're elevating. When I was writing these notes, I was like, man, if you're 70 or older, you need to be thinking about elevating. I was like, man, that's a dumb thought. Then I stopped and said, man, if you're 50 or older, you should be elevating some young leader. I thought, man, that's a dumb thought. If you're 12 years old or older, you probably should be elevating someone in their life. Speaking those words of affirmation, seeing the potential inside of them that they don't even see in themselves. That's what the church does: is we edify, we build up one another. So, who is it for you? Who are you elevating? Who are you pouring into? Who are you building up? Who are you affirming and seeing the potential in? People did that for me. I get to do that for others. We all need to be doing that. Sometimes others just see a shepherd boy. God sees the next king of all of Israel. The Lord can take a heart that is for Him and turn that person into a, a world leader. And sometimes those who you know and those you love, we don't always see the potential inside of one another that we should. But listen, this is so important. God is highly excited about your future. Jesus didn't come and give His life, God didn't send His Holy Spirit for you to just do nothing. He's excited about your future. On uh, January 21st, 2016, some four years and four or five months ago, um, my friend Pete Bowdish said something to me. And I don't know that he knew that I wrote it down, but I did. Um, He's double my age, and he's been a double blessing in my life. And Pete said these words to me. I think we can put it on the screen. Pete said these words to me. He's one of our elders and one of my best friends. And he said, what God has called you to do, he will be with you to help you do it. It didn't stop there. There will be challenges, but the Lord will be with you. What God has called you to do, it's too big for you. It's too much for you. There's going to be challenges in my life right now that might be called this pandemic and it might be called racism and it might be called violence and, and it might be called disgruntled church people or it might be called whatever you want to pour on the list. It's not an easy time to be a leader. If someone called out the potential in me, someone lifted me up, elevated me, and that's going to help me for decades to come. If someone speaks a word into your life that helps you, you might want to write it down or keep it. Let me remind you of this. As long as the Lord is with you, you're okay because you're writing on His strength and not your strength. So I'm going to ask if we just take a couple minutes. Uh, This is going to be a special song, just a moment. But here's the three things I want you to think about as we kind of pray and meditate on what God would say to us. Um, First of all, jesus asked to be lord of your life he didn't ask to be a a good friend give you some advice on the side when you need him he wants you to obey him to give your life to him to see your sin to see his love and forgiveness and make a decision maybe you're partially living for the lord or maybe you're not living for god but jesus came to seek and save the lost and when we sin we're lost we're separated from god So would you take a moment right now and just be very clear like, Jesus, I I need you to be Lord of my life. I don't want to lead my own life. I'm not the end-all, be-all of my creation. And I can't forgive my own sins. So Lord, come into my life and be Lord of my life. Forgive me and lead me in my life. Secondly, would you uh, do this? Would you begin to see people through God's eyes? See people how the Lord sees them. Even your family, even the leaders that you disagree with. And then finally this, uh, who are you elevating? Hopefully you have more than one name or even two names, that you have some people that you're asking God to use you mightily in their life, that they might quote you someday, and your words and your actions might help them become who God's created them to be. So I'm going ask, uh, if you just maybe spend some time in prayer, we're going to have a song. Just meditate on those three things as we talked about.
2: The God who's never far so I will not be afraid God you always Passes understanding. When the whole wide world is crushed down, I fall to my knees.
1: Thanks, Rachel, for using your talents for God. Listen, if God's speaking to you, don't hold that in. Right now is a great time to share with somebody, this is what God is speaking to me. In fact, I want to encourage you, if you're serious about growing spiritually, find someone and ask them this question, what is God saying to you? This is what God is doing in my life. What is God doing in your life? What is God saying to you? This is what he's doing in my life. This is how I'm growing. This is what God is speaking to me. Would you find someone and share that with them this week? All right, God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.